You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. We have a great show for you today on the topic of Catholic education. But first, last week, I asked you what was your favorite title for St. Joseph. He has more than 20 titles, actually. And I told you you could either email those in or you could go to Kristen's Cross's Facebook page and you could cast your vote. Well, I'm excited. We had 19 people that filled out our little survey, our little poll, and I'm going to give you the results right now. We have one vote for Diligent Protector of Christ, one vote for Patron of the Dying, three votes for Terror of Demons. I think I told you last week that's Kristen's favorite one. Five votes for Pillar of Families, and the winner is, with nine votes, Head of the Holy Family. Not surprising. That was fun. Thank you to all who participated in our poll. And again, you can still cast your vote by joining the prayer group of my wife's Facebook page. It's called Today's Catholic Prayers by Kristen's Crosses. And if you're looking for a way to start your day, you can subscribe to our YouTube page where we read the gospel and I do a daily reflection on that gospel each and every day. Thanks again for everyone who participated. We will leave links in the show notes for all of this. And again, enjoy our final days of the year of St. Joseph. I was wondering, Does anyone know who we're honoring in the new liturgical year, which, of course, starts with the first Sunday of Advent uh, at the end of November? I'm just wondering if you do know, please shoot me an email. I'm curious. Now, let's get to work. As I said, this week we're discussing Catholic education with an incredible organization, the Independence Mission Schools located in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And this week, I had the opportunity to talk with their Chief Development Officer, Michelle Brown. And Michelle will talk about their unique mission and how they provide a Catholic education to the underserved inner-city families in Philadelphia. And we'll also talk a little bit about some year-end giving strategies. And so, without further ado, here is Michelle Brown. Okay, well, welcome to Advancing Our Church. Welcome, Michelle. So great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to read a little bio about Michelle Brown. She's the Chief Development Officer for the Independence Mission Schools. We're going to have a great conversation today about Catholic education and especially this very special ministry that you're a part of. I'm I'm very excited to get into that with you. But first for our listeners, Michelle Brown is the Chief Development Officer at Independence Mission Schools in Philadelphia. She's responsible for raising more than $15 million annually and overseeing communications, marketing, and public relations for the organization. With 21 years of nonprofit leadership experience in both fundraising and operational capacities, Michelle joined IMS in October 2019. Prior to this role, she served as the Director of Development at Mastery Charter Schools for four years, where she was responsible for overseeing fundraising strategy and implementation of of a network of 24 urban public charter schools. I'm sure that prepared you well. Michelle's career began in the Development and Stewardship Office in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia in 2000, where she successfully led the Catholic Charities Appeal campaign, raising over $9 million annually for five years. She served Franciscan Ministries Foundation uh, of the Sisters of St. Francis of Philadelphia and at Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health in both development and operational leadership roles. Michelle holds a BA in Journalism and Mass Communications from Bonaventure University, 
where she was also a four-year member of the Division I women's basketball team and the class of 2000 Ideal Bonaventure Woman. In 2008, she earned her MS in nonprofit management from Eastern University, where she was also the recipient of the Harold C. Howard Servant Leader Award. Michelle and her two sons, Colin and Andrew, reside in media. Welcome, Michelle. Great resume. Thank you. <laughs> so for our listeners, they've heard a little bit about you, and I want to ask you, you know, a few things about yourself and your career, but uh, maybe just let's introduce the topic first of independence mission schools, because I'm sure a lot of folks who are listening are probably are, have heard of the organization, but they might not quite understand how it works. So can you yeah. share with us a little bit about how it, how it got started? Sure. In in 2012, uh, actually 2010, a group of philanthropists in Philadelphia took over a closing St. Martin de Porres school in Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. And it's one of the poorest congressional districts in, in our country, in fact, I think the second poorest. And they moved into that school knowing that it was, you know, at one time there were many schools in that section of Philadelphia, Catholic schools, and that was the only one left at that time and really felt strongly that Catholic schools are important everywhere, but particularly in, in urban environments. They're they're truly, you know, assets to the community and 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 they are, you know, beacons for hope, as we we say, but they are that is there's truth to that. And so they wanted to make sure that that it stuck around. And they did that successfully. So then in 2012, when the Archdiocese of Philadelphia announced more school closures, this group stepped up and said, you know, we we did a good job of keeping the school going. Let's see if we can do more. And so at that point, um, one school became a total of 15 schools under the name of Independence Mission Schools. And, and so here we are today, eight years later, running pretty strong. We, we are now at 14 schools. We did consolidate schools in this last year. The same group of people are still heavily involved and on our board and, and really still passionate about the mission to make sure it continues. That's tremendous, Michelle. And as you know, uh, in my prior life, I was the Chief Development Officer for the Faith in the Future Foundation, which got its start right around the same time as the Independence Mission Schools in Philadelphia. It was really a a pivotal moment for Catholic education in the Archdiocese uh, with the high schools, the Independence Mission Schools, and and even the, the elementary schools working very hard. What is the operations model for each school? So I, I, as I understand it, we actually had Father Chris Walsh um, okay. from St. Raymond of Penafort on the show just a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and they're a part of the IMS group as well. As I understand it, the pastor kind of signs over some of his administrative roles to kind of allow independence mission schools to help manage the, the operation. Is that right? That is right. The schools really become completely independent of the archdiocese themselves. The pastors can remain involved as much or as little as they'd like. And Father Chris is a great example of a, of a pastor who is generously and heavily involved and, in, you know, in his commitment to the community that involves the school. The buildings themselves still belong to the archdiocese. We, we rent those buildings. For the most part, we own two. We rent uh, the rest of them for a uh, a dollar a year, but we are responsible for the maintenance and, you know, any renovation, anything that we do the school, you know, is our responsibility. So mm-hmm. there is that physical relationship and a partnership that we, you know, want to be able to build with the pastor and with the parish community. But from an entity standpoint, you know, we are our separate 501c3 and each of the schools is under the umbrella of that. And, and again, separate, completely independent of the archdiocese. We do work with the archdiocese for our, our religious education uh, curriculum, but, but that aside, you know, we try to be partners, but there's no real legal or authoritative relationship there. Do they all, each of the schools have a board? 
They do not. So, okay. you know, this is part of you know, the, like, the transition of that model where yeah. each of the schools at one point would have had an operating board of their own to make decisions, have all, all of the authority. And when it moved to independence mission schools, we have an overarching board of directors for the organization. And then each school has what we call an advisory council. And this has really uh, kind of evolved over the years as well. When it first started, the organization really took shape to say, we're going to handle your back office. We're going to do your HR. We're going to help with your finances, you know, your operations, your facilities, but you still do the education part, do the academics, have a development staff, all of those things. And as it's evolved over time, I think there's been a real recognition that, you know, some of the reasons the schools were potentially failing was maybe because what they were doing on a micro level wasn't as effective or didn't have the most up-to-date research for education in an urban setting in the changing demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the financial model wasn't working as well because families couldn't afford to pay. And as one community, maybe with dwindling parishioners, they also couldn't afford to bridge the gap of finances. And so as this has evolved, we've really moved to being less of just a back office to being more of a network where we have resources that we can share across the board. And so, you know, the operating board oversees all things, and then each of our schools can have an advisory council. In some of this transition, I think some of those, what were boards, felt like, well, what is my role? You know, like, what what is my role? If I don't have authority, if we can't make decisions, like, what are we doing here? And frankly, there hadn't really been good communication from the organization to recognize that and say, oh, well, this is what your role should be. Let's give you some clarity. And so some of them had fallen off entirely where they just didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. Principal maybe came in and out and some of those folks maybe left with a former principal and just didn't rebuild a new one. But some have stayed on and have been still passionate and still excited, even with a lack of direction, which I think really shows their commitment to the school and to the mission. And so when I came on board um, two years ago, uh, it was really evident to me that having these councils at each school was a, a resource that we re- was necessary, you know, mm-hmm. we, to have the outreach, to have um, really an extension of, of my team and development and communications. And so I've been working with those seven that exist still. So seven of the 14 exist still to strengthen, to give better clarity, to have a better understanding of what their purpose is or could be, um, the impact that they could have. And really now it focuses more on supporting that principal and that school with maybe what their initiatives are for that year or the next two years. Is it increasing enrollment? And what does that mean? Does it mean they need help with marketing? Does it mean they need maybe a new playground, you know, to make it a better experience for the students and and better visual outside? Um, So it's fundraising, it's awareness, it's just continuing to build the knowledge that the schools still exist and that they really need support from from everyone in all communities, city and suburb. So that's that's kind of where they are now. And it's going pretty well. I think people are feeling engaged. I feel like they feel like there's direction. There's certainly still work to do in that space. But the goal would be that the ones that exist get to a place where they can support themselves and move forward very clearly. And then we can start to rebuild at the schools where, where those councils have been lost. Sure, sure. So you're responsible for raising over 15 million every year. No, no small nut to crack for sure. (laughs) Is there a a local development office at each of the schools or an an individual advancement director or how, how is it structured? So that's one of the changes that had occurred in the past, I'd say, four years, Mm -hmm. um, where each had a development director, at least, development office, and then um, it moved to then being a regional, to regional offices, 
where when I came in, then that was wiped out and it became completely centralized. So I was brought in really with the idea to just reimagine development overall. I certainly see why it's important to have one at every school, but I think not being done strategically, when you have a school that's schools, two schools that are a mile apart from each other in the city, they're really competitors, you know, right. and they're working against each other instead of working with each other. And so rather than have five schools, you know, out there going for a, a grant from Home Depot, you know, we can have one grant going for 15 or 14 schools and show more impact. So this this has been a, a transition and an evolution too, because what you miss then is having somebody on site every day. You know, you mm-hmm. miss having somebody who is not there to see the really great things that just happen to happen that day, a really great, right. great interaction with a student. So that that's one of the pieces that, you know, we're kind of working through. How do we do that? And how do we utilize those councils to maybe be on site more or to have somebody that is willing to, you know, go to the school a few days a week? It's, that's the challenge is how to how to keep things personalized, but also how to be efficient across a, a network of 14 schools. Mm, that makes sense. So does that I guess that would then that would mean you need to build out your office a little bit then to raise 15 million dollars. Has that also been a part of the process? It has. Yeah. So yeah. when I came on board, we had a I had a database manager and a really at that point kind of a generalist who was just like keeping things going. She had been at one of the schools and then was a regional and then came to central. At this point, I now have a team of nine for communications work and development, only one for communications, the rest are all development. And I was able to develop what I felt was a vision for this program and then hire really during the height of the pandemic and quarantine, which was quite an experience to be recruiting and, you know, interviewing and all of that. A lot of my team didn't even meet in person until, you know, they were already on board for nine months. So mm-hmm. It was, it was interesting. And I think it's difficult to onboard and have people really get a sense of it, not being able to be in schools. You know, many mm-hmm. of our schools were not open full time in that year. So it was quite the challenge. But I have a really great team. And I feel like the vision that, I, that I've put in place and how to divide the work is coming together. And that, that feels really, really great. I'll bet. In Pennsylvania, of course, for those who might be listening outside the state, we benefit from the Educational Improvement Tax Credit Program. Is the is that money counted in the 15 you have to raise it each is year? absolutely what, yes what's what share <laughs> of that uh, is eitc about eight million of what we raise is through the tax credit program through the sure. eitc and ostc opportunity scholarship tax credit which you know are really talked about in one and the same but it is a crucial part of the way that we we raise funds for our students yeah i'll bet that's tremendous and i would imagine you have uh, and, uh, some stories about how the operation is probably just changed over the years, right? Can you give us some examples of how maybe uh, donors have gotten involved and maybe gotten more uh, engaged either through a board or are, are they coming to you donors through corporate giving or, or how are you identifying people that are interested in this particular mission? Yeah, it's a positively overwhelming endeavor because mm-hmm. our schools have been in these communities for hundred and some years in, in mm-hmm. many cases. And so there are people and families, you know, that go back generations and generations that that have gone to these schools, love their schools, and still want to support their schools. Mm-hmm. That being said, in the transition of things, in the failing of schools in the past, in the change of demographics, a lot of the communication has been lost. A lot of that engagement had been lost. And so over the past years, we've been doing a lot of work, even to go to the school and get like the handwritten roll books and then entering them and working with a company to help check addresses and, and update those and just try to get in touch with people to let them know that their school is still here, that it's a part of this network. But that doesn't mean anything other than it's being managed, you know, 
in a different kind of way. It's still their school. The funds that they give are still going to that school. But there's a lot of misperception about that that exists out there. So we are really trying to do a step back right now in going back out to donors, back out to community to say, this is who we are. This is what Mm -hmm. this means. This is what this means for your school, what it doesn't mean. So the people have real clarity on the fact that if they're going to give to one of their schools, it is staying at that school. It's not going to this other IMS entity that exists somewhere. You know, it is all of us. We are all of our schools are IMS and any of us at central at our central office are here solely to support the operation of those schools. So, you know, there's there's a lot of that misunderstanding out there that that we're really trying to work on. But our donors, so a lot of alumni, uh, which is fantastic. We haven't really done a lot of general corporate giving, but I think we're, you know, we're moving a little bit in that direction. Certainly Mm -hmm. the tax credit is a part of that. As you know, um, people can give as a a corporation can give um, and also individuals can now give, which has been huge uh, success and, and, and impact for all of us. I started, you know, when I was at the Archdiocese in 2000, 2001, and Blocks was run out of, you know, there was one person in my in my development office right. then, and it's really evolved since that time. And, you know, individuals now being able to give has really made a huge difference for us with that. But we are trying to look at, at more with corporate giving and what we can do beyond just sponsorships. I think corporate giving has changed in general anyway. Most companies aren't necessarily giving for the marketing anymore. You know, it used to be what's the marketing benefit, but now it is more, they've developed a foundation, you know, there's more of a process. It's much less about, oh, this board member knows this high high ranking individual in a company and they're just going to shove some of their dollars our way in their budget. It doesn't work that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot more work that has to go into it where companies are, I think, more or less now being treated almost like grant funders, you know, where there is the application process, where there's their really specific priorities of what they will and won't focus on, which for us can be challenging being a Catholic organization. You know, many companies want to support secular organizations and that understandably so. The thing that we we can say is that you know more than 80% of our students actually are not Catholic and we serve children of all faiths. And that's, I think, a really important part of our identity, that we are Catholic schools and that we are faith-based and we are mission, but we are, we are inclusive. And we want to make sure that any child that just wants a better education and, and a family that wants a faith-based education, that they can come to our school and, and they can get that and they can feel accepted and they can feel and, you know, and they can do that in, in a faith, faith-based way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and, and you serve Catholics and non-Catholics alike. And, and we do it not because they're Catholic, but because we're Catholic and it's a part of exactly our identity right. and, and our mission. Absolutely. I would imagine, like you said, you, you get a lot of folks who come back who are alums of these schools and want to be a part of it. But the, the, the mission, I mean, you, you see this in, in other major cities, seems to be something that's contagious for both Catholics and non-Catholics alike. It's, it's a, alike. It's a, it's a mission of education and, some, and, a, and a, an education at one of your schools may make the difference between a, a future that spirals up versus one that spirals downward. Do you find folks that are not alums who want to still be a part of this mission because they just believe in education or they believe in Catholic education or they want to help the overall just improvement of education in the city? Yeah, we do. I think more and more we see that because people recognize, especially if you live in the city or if you own a business in the city, you know, you're contributing to the community as a whole and you want people who, you know, who are educated and who have opportunity. And the more that you can support that, the better off you are for the community that you live in, for the employees that you're hiring at at any level. You know, you want a workforce that is educated and that wants to be there. And you also want to be able to attract people to the city who, who feel like they have, you know, education 
educational opportunities for their own children. So I mm-hmm. think it, you know, being able to provide a quality education, no matter whether it is, you know, public or private is important to everybody. And if, if we can give people that opportunity, you know, at the cost that we are able to do it, I think they see the benefit in that. Our cost per pupil is about $8,000 a student. Our families typically pay about $2,000 a student. So there's a big gap to fill and uh, our families pay as much as they can, but financial aid is, is crucial. And the model is a difficult one because it is a lot to fill. But if we can have people make the recognition that, yeah, I'd like a child to get the same education that I was provided and to be able to consider that, to be able to consider it in their, in their estate planning, you know, in their day-to-day planning, to be able to say like, so of the 8,000, about 2,000 of that is, uh, is like title funding, government funding. So we're really filling uh, about 6,000 of that. So to be able to make a, make a gift of $3,500, $4,000 to be able to support a child's entire year of education feels really impactful for somebody who that is an amount that they could manage, you know, and, and feel really good about. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So how do you coordinate in all this is obviously a, a big, big job. Where do you spend a lot of your time? Do you spend your time at the schools? Do you spend a lot of your time doing major gifts? Or how does how does your one of your work weeks look? <laughs> it is an hour to hour sometimes uh, experience in my Different world. Every but week. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I think it, it's a real mixture of things. I think trying to, you know, put this team together and I think the time that we're in has made has made it different than what it maybe normally would have been. You know, I came in and, and really did an assessment for the first, yeah. you know, two to three months of what was happening, meeting the advisory councils, the principals, the donors and figuring out what to do. And then as soon as I felt like I, it was time to hire, it was when the pandemic hit and it was like, wow, we need emergency funding. Our families are losing their jobs. You know, there's, they can't pay for tuition. We're virtual. Every child needs a laptop and no, none of our children have them. So Mm. uh, we had to really just stop, stop all that future planning and really be in the immediate. And we raised about $2 million over a few months and we're able to provide all 4,000 of our students with laptops and support families with tuition, even more tuition assistance. So, you know, they kind of shifted the day-to-day for me a little bit and, and put me right in there. So now it's really trying to make sure that my team is understanding of their role, that we're kind of getting back to basics of just even collateral and, you know, all, all the things that we want to be doing to move forward. Um, and we're also beginning to launch a five-year, $50 million strategic campaign. So okay. there is uh, a lot going on every day in our I'll World. say $50 million um, campaign. That's great. Has it launched yeah. or? I'm making this not a silent phase right now, but it is that we are, we are, we have started working with our, you know, our larger funders and really sure. uh, trying to get those investments in and refine our plan a little bit as it is launched in terms of the implementation of the strategy, which really focuses on increasing our academic outcomes and making sure. sure that our, you know, our curriculum is strong and that it is supported and really needing the funds to do that. Because as they were schools who were independent, they were doing their own thing at each parish, at each school. And so we've now shifted so that every school has the same math curriculum, every school has the same literacy curriculum, um, which will make a really big difference for us in professional development and, Mm -hmm. you know, data collection, all of those things that we need as fundraisers, you know, Uh, without the data of of those outcomes, it's really hard to say, this is something that you want to invest in. 
Uh, so it's important that we that we do that for my work too. Um, so I do, yes, I do a lot of major gifts work, you know, a lot of stewardship work, some of our larger funders with, with some of the grant funding and, and just relationship building and just trying to get our, our name out there. Communications is, a, is another huge part of my role. So with the closing of, of St. Gabriel's last year and some pandemic issues, you know, been a lot to work on there. I can imagine. How has it shifted over the pandemic? How did your schools have to work differently? Yeah, our schools initially, you know, we moved virtual. And when many schools last year, many Catholic schools went in person five days, we were not able to do that because of spacing challenges with our families not wanting to come in full, you know, for five days with spacing issues and all of that. So we were a real mix of hybrid and virtual and in-person last year, which was hard on everybody, hard on the needs, hard on the, the finances of needing to clean, you know, and keep everything safe and, and technology. But everybody has adapted. We are now in this year, we are in school full-time in-person and so far so good as well as can be expected. But people are feeling like they're getting back to normal, but people have really stepped up in terms of fundraising and, and supporting. I think when you have something tangible, you know, we all know people love to see their impact immediately. So to have a campaign to try to get a, a computer in a student's hands so that they can continue their education. I mean, you know, that's, it's kind of a no brainer and it really, and it really was, and it was necessary and needed and people stepped up. I mean, people gave that had not given in a really long time or ever. And so it, for me, it was a great step in trying to rebuild and reconnect with their donors to say, to bring them back in with that tangible thing and now hopefully be able to keep them with us and, and keep them engaged and find kind of like, what is that next thing that, that is tangible enough for them to want to support? Mm-hmm. That's tremendous. And donors have also adapted through this or has your has your approach to them adapted? I would imagine. I mean, for a lot of us, online giving became much much bigger of your school. Your schools are probably already doing that. To, to We are, school. but it is such a challenge because so many of our donors are are older and yeah. are, you know, and they want to write the checks and they even recurring donors, they send a monthly check, you know, some right. of them are sending monthly checks still. So we had challenges with postal service for a very long time, which is difficult. A donor doesn't understand that you just didn't get it yet. You know, that seems unfathomable, but that it's six months and you maybe just got a check, but it was what was happening. I think that yeah. was a really big challenge for us is, is, you know, trying to be really transparent, but, you know, it's hard. People don't understand that that is actually the reality. So shifting to online giving, we had some events that we very quickly shifted to online events. And, and what we've done is shifted it to what we call our, our, our day of giving, uh, which you see many colleges and universities do these with alumni, you know, kind of one focused day of giving. And I think a lot of high schools do them now, but we, we moved to that and it has been really successful, which, you know, I love, I love meeting people at events and I love all of those things, but if I can do a, a fundraiser, that's just as successful from my you know, living room, that's, that's, that's great. But we haven't done them in the sense where it's been a timed sit down, log in thing. It's really been throughout the day where we pick this day and we build up to that day. And then throughout the day, we're sending a variety of emails with testimonials and videos to really hope that if, if somebody will open just one of those and be touched by what they see in that minute, minute and a half video and give, then that's that, you know, we've done our job there. And yeah. um, so far, the ones we've had have actually exceeded what they raised in their in-person events. So mm. we're, we're thrilled at that. And 
think it will be something that continues, you know, in the work that we do, even if we, you know, even as we bring some, some in-person events back, but I, I would imagine those will be more about stewardship, you know, less about fundraising. Um, so we are making that shift zoom. You know, I know people are like, some are zoomed out, some are not, but being able to meet with donors via zoom at, at a time that is more convenient for them, that doesn't require people to, uh, you know, shift a whole lot in their schedule. It really has been beneficial, but nothing beats bringing somebody to a school. You know, everybody I'm sure that does this work knows that being able to bring people to schools and meet children and see them in their element is really what we want to be able to do. But it's yeah. still that is still challenging. You know, we'll bring one, two people, but to have a group event at a school, we're, we're still not there yet mm -hmm. for, with safety precautions. And also, I'd love to get back there sooner than later. Someday, someday. Yeah. Well, one of the, um, and we're starting this week a little ongoing segment with each of our guests. You know, we're coming towards the year end. And uh, I'm curious, Michelle, how are you uh, thinking about you, some of your year end giving strategies? And do you have any advice for those who are, you know, putting that plan together or finalizing that plan? How are you thinking about year end giving? You know, I, I'm sure I have nothing really like groundbreaking because I think when we think about year in giving and we think about giving at any time, it is about how are we communicating to our yeah. donors? How are we showing them attention? How are we showing them impact? Mm -hmm. And we are all still in this environment, uh, you know, of a pandemic and how are we still making the impact on children? How is their donation still affecting that? And, you know, being able to tell those stories and be able to do it in a way that people are receptive to it remains the challenge all you know all the time and and remains the focus you know we move into giving tuesday and thanksgiving and i really like i'm done with giving tuesday <laughs> i i feel like for many years people put a lot of time into giving tuesday and a lot of effort yeah. and it just becomes this thing where people get excited about facebook donations and all of that that like come and go and and it's really not, it can't be about that one day, you know, and it, and it can't be about getting on this gimmick that I think is, I feel it's just, it's, it's white noise at this point. I, I don't think a lot of localized organizations benefit from putting a lot of time and effort into that. So we'll do basic things to make sure we're doing it in case somebody wants to give and, you know, somebody's looking for it, but we've really stopped our attention on that and moved more toward Thanksgiving and gratitude and thanking people. It's not about the ask, you know, Thanksgiving for us. And during that time, it's really about, making sure we're thanking our donors that they know that that we appreciate them and then moving into christmas because i think for organizations like ours christmas is a is a is a big deal you know and and we want to celebrate and people want to be able to look at their own blessings and be able to give back to to others so i think making sure that we're really focusing on that christmas appeal for us is a is a really really big deal and for us it's also looking at our donors who respond very well to paper so getting, making sure that we are mailing things and that we're not just focused on online. It's easy to do email. I mean, easier to do email, easier to be online, but making sure that we're still getting in the mailboxes and, and getting in front of people is really crucial. And making the calls, making the phone calls, checking in on people. I think one of the things we learned through the pandemic too was what a great opportunity to call a donor and just say yeah. hi and just see how they are and just build that relationship. And let's, so let's not forget that, you know, let's not forget that people are still home and don't have family around or aren't getting out like they may be used to, aren't being social. And so just getting a call from somebody to check in and say hi and maybe give an update or share a story about a student or somebody else receiving services, 
I think really brightens the day of somebody and helps build that relationship that's really genuine and authentic. Well, you covered so many good points there. I agree. I, I've said that from the beginning. You with the pandemic, you never have to think about an excuse to call anybody anymore. You know, no. you don't have to come up with the same old cheesy survey or whatever it is, you know, that we used to come up with to come up with a reason to call people and check in on them. It's just the 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 world ended, by the way. How you doing? <laughs> you know, the, yeah, it's just changed, like being you know? human again, you know. Everything like, shut just... down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And great points about Giving Tuesday. You know, a lot of the schools that I've worked with have moved away from, I mean, they might hang their shingle out on Giving Tuesday like everybody else, just in case. Yeah. But many schools seem to have moved to a different day altogether. And, you know, yes. maybe it's a, a day that commemorates their founder or their patron exactly. saint or somebody who's a significant donor at the school or a president's, a president that was really meaningful yep. um, rather than being lost in that clutter and that mass of, of yeah. Giving Tuesday. There's just so much noise going that time of year. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. And I think that's why our day of our, our shifted day of giving versus even just those live events has been impactful because we've focused it. It's not really a day that's anything else. We have one yeah. next next Wednesday for our St. Martin de Porres school, and it's the feast of St. Martin de Porres. So it, you know, it makes sense for us and it's timed differently. And so for, for me, we can we can do it for our individual schools and they can yeah. each have their own their own space in that. And it gives us gives you the time to to focus on that. So I think it's I think those are better ideas. Yeah. And the mailing makes such a good, you made a good point on that too. And and uh, getting that mailing out early because boy, after Thanksgiving, there is just a stack in my mailbox. I don't know about yeah. yours, every single day of organizations and different things that are coming out. But you know, mailing early is is key. You know, and I think also making sure that you're looking across all platforms so that when yeah. you're sending the mailing, you're maybe you're sending something in email to say, hey, check your mail or something on social media to say, check your mailboxes this week, it's coming. Then following up afterward with some kind of piece and making sure that you're on all platforms, email, web, social, that all works together with that mailing piece, because there are people that want to give in, in a variety of ways and, and making sure that you can do that gives that opportunity. Uh, the other thing we're, we're really trying to focus again on too is is recurring giving and, and monthly giving. It's something that yeah. we have not focused on and that we are trying to focus on a little bit more about taking that burden off of somebody because yeah, you have the stack of mail, you have everything else that's automated. So let's make this a little bit easier. And you know, we all, we all know monthly recurring giving is, tr is tried and true way to continue a stable lane of giving, but mm -hmm. it's something that we hadn't really focused on as an organization that we're starting to do again. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Michelle, I, I will put your contact information and certainly the uh, Independence Mission School's website and in the show notes of this episode, but uh, where else can people find you if they're looking for you? You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. I welcome, you know, anybody to reach out. I'm happy to ever have conversations about what they're doing, what we're doing, just development, communications in general, and certainly on our website. I think there's some contact information at our imsphila.org website. That's excellent. Well, thanks for all you're doing for Catholic education, especially for those students in those schools. It's a great ministry and, and it's a great apostolate and uh, just so grateful for all you're doing, especially for the founders too, at the vision, you know, back in 2012 to get this started, who would have thought, you know, sneaking up on the 10 year anniversary now of, of all this and kind of the reformation there was 
There was you guys, there was Faith in the Future. I think the Catholic Foundation of Greater Philadelphia may have launched right around yep. that time. There was the Catholic Education Foundation that's out in Westchester that serves the, yep. the elementary schools. The landscape really changed quite a bit in that 2012-2013 time period for philanthropy in, in Philadelphia. And it's interesting how yep. many other organizations like that and other dioceses started to spring up as well. I, I, do you get calls around the country from other folks that are interested in your model and want to know what you're we- doing? We yeah. do. Yeah, we do get calls from, uh, you know, schools, from families, you know, parents that maybe want to save their school or change the way their school is being run. So we we do get calls um, from people wanting to know a little bit more about the model. And we make those calls too. you know, the to the partnership schools in New York and, and in Camden and trying to just see what are people doing that that works because it has to change. You know, the model, the model really has to continue to evolve. The people that we're serving, the demographics that we're serving are, are also changing and it doesn't work the way it used to work and and that's okay you know uh, that's what it's all about we grow and we learn and we evolve we don't want to lose this opportunity to be able to continue catholic education to continue to be that bright spot and and be that safe haven but one that's also providing rigorous academics we don't want to just be the safe place we want to be the place where families want to send their kids and they know and they feel feel stability and they feel security that their child is going to leave and be able to go potentially to a, a Catholic high school or another uh, quality high school and, and fulfill their dreams and, and do all the things that they want to do. That's what it's all about. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thanks for being on the on the show today. Thanks, and Jim. again, uh, I, we will uh, post Michelle's contact information in, in the show notes. But thank you again. Great. Thanks a lot. I want to thank Michelle Brown for being on our show this week. Thank you, Michelle, for sharing your wisdom and the story of the Independence Mission Schools. I will leave a link to your website on the show notes if you'd like to get in touch with Michelle, either via LinkedIn or via the Independence Mission Schools. Again, if you'd like to view the entire video presentation of this episode, you can visit our episode's homepage at advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. And for more information about our show and where to find us, you can go to advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.